Uh, yeah, good morning. My name is Dominic. If um, there's any guests or, uh, online or in the room, I'm glad that you're here. Really grateful that you've entered into uh, our space of worship this morning. I hope you feel at home and that you feel that it can be yours as well. And so um, it's an honor and a privilege to open the word this morning, and, and we're going to do that. Um, I want to share a quick story, though. I, I uh, End of September, I uh, had a privilege of, of meeting uh, a neighbor that lives across the street in the apartments. There was something going on in the parking lot, and we got to interact and connect. And uh, over the last number of months, I've had the, the chance to just befriend him, and um, I would consider him a friend as well. And we'd sit and we'd talk and, and hang out. And um, the last, one of the most recent times we, we sat together, um, he said, you know, he goes, every time I come and, and meet with you, he goes, I'm, I'm really grateful. He's like, it's almost like a counseling session. Like, you just listen to me, and you ask really great questions, and I get to process all this stuff going on in my life. And he goes, but I don't really know that much about you. Um, how did you get to where you are? Like, how did you become a pastor and all that? So I was like, oh, this is kind of a chance to share some of my testimony. And so I did. And uh, at the end of it, he kind of looked at me and he goes, really? Like, did that really happen? And I was like, man, okay, like, I, was, you know, I guess it's fair. Like, all the dysfunction, the car accident, sirens, police, all the, you know, all the stuff, right? And it's like, ah, okay. But he just, that was kind of his reaction. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, well. And that night later, I was just kind of discouraged, if I'm being honest. I was like, man, I've never had anybody react like that. And literally after, after he said that, he literally goes, hey, so can I tell you now about this conversation I recently had with my mom? And it was like, just quickly back to the, the, to the counseling mode, you know what I mean? The reason why I share that is on Tuesday, uh, the staff and I had a chance to go and receive some training um, from Dr. Esau McCauley. If you're familiar with his name, uh, his book over the last number of years, and his work has been amazing and very influential uh, just in the talks about racial reconciliation and, and just bringing more awareness about anti-black racism in our country and the things that need to happen in light of the gospel if the church is really going to be the church. But he was here because he was writing about, or he was sharing about uh, his new book that he wrote, which is actually a memoir, and so it's just his story. But one of the things that he was sharing about um, he, in, in this first talk that he gave that was called How to Tell a Story That Will Set You Free, he said, when you hear someone else tell their story and what God has been up to, you usually can't help but think about your own life and what God is possibly up to as well. And I sat there and I thought, oh yeah, this is really good. And I thought, I couldn't help but think, Lord, I hope that somehow sharing my story will continue to bear fruit in that, in that relationship. But also, I sat there and thought, you know, Lord, and as we enter into Advent this coming Sunday, and we open up the Word, and we enter into the portions of Scripture that are narrative, that are story-driven, I really hope that God shows up in the next four weeks, and that God does a beautiful and deep and substantive, transformative work in our hearts and our minds as we enter into this season of Christmas again. See, because the reality is we, we open these stories, and we hear them every single year, don't we? <laughs> It's like, okay, Christmas again, yep, Advent again, yep, here we go, that's that time of year. But this year, we're taking a little bit of a different look at it. Instead of celebrating each week in terms of hope, love, joy, and peace, of course, we'll think about those, we'll consider those, we'll sing about those. But we're going to take a break from actually like teaching on those necessarily specifically. And what we want to do this year over the next four weeks, which are the weeks of Advent, is open up the narrative stories. And what we felt like we want to do would be to look specifically at the different characters within each narrative and how each one God intentionally placed and put them there in order to highlight a unique aspect of his grace given to us through the giving of his son Jesus Christ. In other words, what we want to do is look from the angels to Mary and Joseph, shepherds, wise men, the natural world, and ask the question, how is each of these characters' inclusion a proclamation of the good news of great joy that comes to all people in Jesus Christ? And here's one of my deep convictions this year, you guys, honestly. We don't need to talk about just ornamental joy. <laughs> I don't care for it, don't have time for it, don't want to do it. 
Again, I'm, I'm hoping that as we look at these narratives, that God's Word will come alive to us these weeks. And again, the Lord will do something substantive, something deep, something meaningful as we open up and look at this story and ask the question of ourselves, Lord, as we hear you tell this story of what you've been up to and what you did in these people's lives, that we wouldn't be able to help but think about our own lives and what God is possibly up to and wanting to do in us this Advent season. Amen? Can you guys get on board with that with me? Some are saying, okay. Can, I, can you guys get on board with that with me? All right, let's, let's go. All right, so this year we're going to jump in and we're going to start uh, this morning uh, in, in Matthew's narrative. And um, we're going to read two portions of it, looking at both the birth of Jesus Christ and the visit of the wise men. And uh, yeah, Missio, God's word says this to us this morning. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, as you read that, I almost have the reaction, honestly, of, of my friend to my story. And you look at that and you go, really? <laughs> I mean, like if you wanted to tell a believable story, you'd make it a little less suspicious and a little less like precarious and a little less like, really? Right? You know? Now, here's the thing. This morning, we're not going to deal with this passage. We're going to talk about those details and the importance of them again and how they highlight God's grace to us in the weeks coming. And actually, what's interesting about Matthew's gospel is that he actually gives more time, more ink, and more papyrus to the next story than he does to that one. And so I want to do similar this morning. I want to continue to read on about this visit of the wise men and talk about it and a key aspect of it. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen before when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now there's a few things I want us to realize as we read uh, these two passages. I know that the passage that we just read, and the one that I said we're going to spend our time to focus on, Matthew 2, 1-12, which is the visit of the wise men, I know and I want us to realize that this visit of the wise men or the magi actually took place after the birth of Jesus. 
This, depending on who you ask, was somewhere between 12 days and two years later. It's where we get, some people get the song 12 Days of Christmas is because they believe this happened 12 days later. But it's also why we celebrate on January 6th usually, or the Sunday closest to it, in the high church they celebrate what's called the Epiphany, which is again this, the time when the wise men saw the star, they traveled, they came, and, and they had this epiphany of, whoa, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the long-awaited King that we've been waiting for. So normally we would have this talk on January 6th. I'm not going to mind that. I'm doing it today on December 3rd. Thank you for being with me in that. And that's an important realization, though. The other realization is this, that Matthew never mentions, in, in both of the two passages that we read, Matthew never mentioned the shepherds, nor did he mention the manger. I mean, he mentions the typical suspects, right? Mary, Joseph, angels. Uh, he mentioned wise men. He mentioned Herod. What he actually gives a lot of attention to is the mention of a key but often overlooked cast member in this narrative and in this story. And that's the divinely created natural world. Matthew gives a lot of attention to a star. The central character of every narrative that we're going to look at is Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong. But a central character in the narrative that we looked at and we're going to spend our time on this morning is actually a star. In verse 2, it says, The wise men said, We saw the star when it rose and we came to worship him. Herod in verse 7, What time did the star rise? Like He's like, you guys are here, sweet. I don't care, but what are you talking about that star? He summons people not to learn about the wise men, but to learn about the star. Verse 9, it says, the star that they had seen went before them and it came to rest where the child was. And then in verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They went in in this posture of worship, all because of the leading of the star. I want you to notice this, that if the star is not in this narrative and in this story, neither are the wise men. That would ruin your Christmas. I know it would. And it would ruin your little nativity set up there. If the star is not in this story, neither are the wise men. You're like, big deal. Kind of a big deal, though. Unlike Joseph that we read in, the, the, in Matthew 1, and unlike Mary and others that we're going to read about in other, other narratives, there's no special visitation from angels that comes personally to them. Instead, what God does is communicate in a very unique and very different way to these folks to tell them that Jesus is the Messiah. It's through a star. And what I want to propose to you is that even while I say that this is a very unique way that God communicated, what I want to take a few minutes to look at this morning is that actually God communicating through the stars, God communicating through the natural created order is actually not that unique of a thing throughout Scripture. From Genesis through Revelation, God communicating, getting the attention of, and pointing and highlighting His Son Jesus Christ through the divinely created order is actually nothing new. I want to invite you to look with me back at the very beginning then in Genesis and take a look at when God actually even spoke these things, these expressions of his love into existence. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to, to Genesis. But we know that at the beginning, the, the world was dark and it was void and, and the Spirit of God was hovering over and it says that God spoke and then there was light. And we get the first day, we get the second day, we get the third day. And I want to read to you what God did on the fourth day. This is Genesis 1, 14 to 19, and it said, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day, 
and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. On day four, we're told that God creates the stars along with the sun and the moon and it serves, it's written here, as signs and for seasons, appointed times to give light upon the earth. See, from the very beginning, the very first mention of stars in Scripture, we are told in this biblical narrative that stars serve as a declaration that God and God alone is the transcendent creator of all things and the sovereign determiner of all time. He's the transcendent creator of all things and the sovereign determiner of all time. If we were to continue in Genesis, we'd read through and we would see that God creates, on, uh, the, the, he creates humanity and on the seventh day he rests. We would see that then the great rebellion comes, that evil comes in and speaks to Adam and Eve and we have this great rebellion that's recorded here. And then these great rebellions, they have children, Cain and Abel, and then Cain and Abel are rebellious too. And so then this world gets kind of crazy. And so we get the story of Adam's descendants until Noah and there's increased corruption on the earth. And so then God sends a flood. And after sending that flood, God creates his first covenant actually with humanity and not the focus of our talk today but do you guys remember what god sealed that covenant with a rainbow actually again something in the sky a divinely created beautiful thing expressing his love and his promise high up in the sky for all to see that's not stars so we're gonna move on from that and so he creates that covenant and after that then um, we have the Tower of Babel, and again, things continue to get worse. But what God does in his divine love and providence is he pursues his creation to a different extent than he has up until that point, in a way. And we get the story of, of Abram. And that story is recorded, us, recorded for us starting in, in Genesis 12. And I'm just going to kind of give you a snapshot before we read a, a certain section I want to. But what happens is that God comes and he initiates a special relationship with Abram. And in his grace, God promises that Abram is going to be the father of a great nation. Now, this seems crazy, right? Because Abram is 75, at the year, 75 years old at the time. Uh, his wife, Sarai, is barren, and they have not a single child. And he's, God's promise to him is, you are going to be the father of many nations. And so a number of years go by, and that doesn't happen. Abram's in a pretty dark place, so is his wife. They finagle some things, a lot happens. And what happens is years later, uh, Abram comes to God, and he wants to make sure that he's actually like, is this promise true, or should I just go do something else? Like, I, I need to make sure. I've, I've kind of wasted enough time on this dude, and I've got some plans I want to fulfill. So, so here, 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 here it comes in Genesis 15. And what Abram does is he asks God for a sign to assure him that he hasn't believed that these promises in vain. And so in Genesis 15, starting in verse 5 and 6, it says this. It says, and he, God, brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he, God, said to him, Abram, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. I wonder if maybe what Abram saw that night was something similar to this. Should be a picture you can put up for me. Hey, this is a shout out to Missio Kids. The Missio kids looked at this story a few weeks ago and I saw what they created on the wall and I couldn't help but include it. I honestly took my breath away when I walked into that room. It was beautiful and, and they have the scripture in there and, and kids' names are written on the stars and it was just, they were learning about Jesus, I was told, and that yeah, even his beginning or the promises of him coming was, was way from the beginning. You can trace it way back in, that all of this points to him. But no, I wonder if, if you go to the next picture, I wonder if when Abram stepped out, I wonder if maybe he saw something actually like this. This is a picture from the, the James Webb telescope. 
there was no lights and electricity back then, so there's no light pollution. So I wonder if maybe even at 75 years old, like his eyes really could see this. <laughs> but he's looking up at the stars, and God says to him, so shall your offspring be. Look toward heaven, number the stars, if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. And Abram looks up at the sky and he tries to count the stars. And I think what Abram realized that night was that God is so powerful that he speaks the stars into existence and that God is so personal that he speaks promises to his people. Abram believes in his power and he believes in his promises, we're told, and he decides that he wants to be in on the story. Abram realizes that night that the promises of God are actually written in the stars. What happens is if we go on from this account, we realize that God is not just a creator who sets his universe in motion and then steps away. No, God is the creator who wants to be in relationship with his creation. And we go on and we read then Genesis and after Genesis is Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and we see all these different ways that God is in pursuit of his creation, in pursuit of humanity, engaging through the stars, through the word, through people, through prophets. And finally we get to the book of Numbers. And in Numbers 22, if we, if we read all the way to there, what we'd come to is this, this other narrative, this other story where the Israelites, who are actually the promised offspring and nation of the descendants of Abraham, God has fulfilled his promise. He's been faithful. He's done good by his word. What we find is that they're making their way to the promised land. Again, after more flandering and wandering and all this, they're finally making their way to the promised land. And what happens is there's other people in the land. And so this Moabite king who doesn't want to give up his land, he hires a prophet named Balaam to actually curse God's people. And I want to read a section of that for you here. Because that, that's what happens is that in Numbers uh, 22, uh, 4 to 6, um, we, we see that what happens is God actually gets a hold of Balaam and, and God declares uh, something beautiful. It says this in Numbers 22, uh, excuse me, Numbers, yeah, sorry, I'm going to read in Numbers 24, excuse me, 15 and 17, and it says this. It says, and he took up his discourse, excuse me, Balaam, and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall rise and shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A scepter, if you're not familiar with it, as I'm often not either, but it's an ornamented staff. And it's an ornamented staff carried by rulers or royalty on ceremonial occasions as they're establishing their symbol or the reality of their sovereignty. God's people are in great darkness at this time. They've been in years and years and years and years of, of wanderings and confusion and uncertainty. And people come and say, we want to curse you, people of God. And God comes and gets a hold of the very one that's to be used to curse. And God gives a promise. One shall come who holds in his hand a scepter. And you will know that he comes because a star shall rise in the sky. 
The star that rose at the time of Jesus' birth, you guys, was set in the sky by God in fulfillment of His promise made thousands of years prior. And those who were seeking Him in the time of Joseph and Mary and all the things going on, those that were seeking Him were led to Jesus as they followed this star and they searched for the advent, the arrival of the promised King. You guys are looking at me, what's your point today, preacher? (laughs) My point is not to call us to be astronomers. My point is not to call us to astrology. God's word clearly calls us not to do that. I could take you there just as easily. I'm not going to do that. I'll just state it like that. The point is this, church. The Advent season is about preparing our hearts and our minds to open up our lives more fully and more deeply. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for whatever nth time, to welcome the reality of Jesus as Savior and as King. We read in Genesis that God sets the sun and the moon and the stars, the great lights in the sky to determine days and nights and time and appoint certain things. And for however long you've lived on this earth, the sun has risen and the sun has set. God has given you a certain number of days, a certain number of seasons. And we find ourselves right now here, December 3rd, 2023, each of us having lived a certain number of days and times and hours determined by God himself, the great determiner of time. We enter into the season of Advent. And I want to propose to us the question this morning, how is God pursuing you in this season? And are you open to it? Or is this just another Christmas season? See, the reality is that when the wise men followed that star and they arrived at Herod's doorstep, he freaked out. And so what he did, the scripture tells us, is he summoned his prophets and he summoned the scribes of the day. And he said, tell me when and more about this star. And what they did was they actually opened up the word of God that aligned and confirmed the things of the star. So God was speaking both through his creation and through his, his word and pointed out, yes, this is true. This is real. My king is coming and here he is. And we're told that the wise men leave and they go on their way and what happens? They worship. What happens? Herod and the scribes and those guys, what did they do? They just stayed put. They saw the same star, didn't they? Yep. They read the same prophecy, didn't they? Yep. And they sat there and stayed the same. The wise men went forward. They found the king. They worshipped and were changed forever. We're going to spend more time on the wise men another week, so that's all I want to say about that. But to propose to you, as we enter this new Advent season, which heart posture are you? How do you come to the divine scriptures? How are you engaging with divine creation around you? What is life and the things going on, the narrative, the story that you're living right now? What is it speaking to you? What is He, the divine creator, speaking to you? And are you open to it? Are you receptive to it? That this Advent season might be deep, It might be rich. It might be transformative. It might be a time and a season where God has determined that he wants to grab a hold of your heart and set you more free than you have been in the past. That the God who is the great pursuer of his creation loves you at such a depth that he doesn't want to leave you where you are right now. But that he's pursuing you 
to woo you into the reality of the depth of his love, the richness of his mercy, the goodness of being in relationship with him like you've never known before. You've longed for it, but maybe have never known before. How can you open your heart more fully to Jesus this season of Advent? And this week, would you take time to go outside a few nights, look up and listen for God? See, every one of the passages that we read, everything that we looked through, what we actually saw is that when God's people are in a time of darkness, God's people are in a time of uncertainty, God is the one that came and pursued them. And in each case that we looked at so far, God said, look up. Look up and remember who I am. Look up and see what I have created and what I have done. Look up and see how this natural divine creation of mine that I have entrusted and given to you, look how it declares the promises that I've made thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, and I've never missed a single one. Guys, we're living in some kind of dark times right now. I'd propose to you that our context, while radically different from Joseph and Mary's, on one hand, on another hand, is actually not that radically different. Pretty dark times, pretty trying times. Times when actually some things going on in this very part of the region of the world are, is, is being dominated by evil leadership and a war and things ravaging. And I could take you to numerous places across the world and go, dark and dangerous, evil. Dark and dangerous, precarious. And God's people are trying to live in this. And here in, in where we are, in the Pacific Northwest, it's considered one of the darkest places. And not just because the sun only rises at 7.30 and sets at 4.30. <laughs> And in our own lives, I mean, I could tell you even from the last couple of weeks, just things where I'm going, oh God, the weight of that, the heaviness of that. But church, God is the God that is the pursuer of human hearts and he meets people in the dark. God is the God that created every single human heart that exists on this planet and he is the pursuer of every single heart, I believe, on this planet and he meets people in the dark. And so my invitation to you as we start this Advent season is not to say, yes, this is dark, and I'm going to put it inside and just go after ornamental joy. But no, would you actually embrace, be real, name, talk about, consider, and look at, and go, this is dark, and this hurts, and it's heavy, and I'm tired, and I'm longing, and I'm weary, and in the midst of it, I feel broken. But God, would you meet me here? Because what your word shows, what the narrative and the story of your word tells me is that you're the great creator of all things. You're the transcendent creator of this whole world and all that is in it. And you hold all the stars in your hand. You set them in place and you counted them each one by number and you set them in place and they've not moved. They've not shifted. But I stand here in the middle of this darkness and things are shifting and I feel weak and I feel tired. And Lord Jesus, would you come and meet me in my darkness? so that this Advent might not just be another holiday, another season. I might not get caught up in the lights and the bright stuff that the world is going to offer that also comes with broken promises, but that my eyes might be open to the light of your glory as revealed through your creation, as revealed through your word, as revealed in community, and my eyes would be open to the promises that are true and sure and certain associated with the light of the life of Jesus coming into this world, and God, would you do something in my heart, please? If we continue through scripture, what we actually end up seeing is that God writes through the psalmist in Psalm 19 
And he says this, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor nor are there words, no voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and the words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. God in his pursuit of people as speaking through his creation speaking through his divine creation. And this psalm tells us that there's not a place on earth where the voice and the praise of these stars, as we actually sang about in that song, is not heard and it is not declared. God's grace and God's beauty, God's goodness is declared through his creation and everyone on the earth has a chance to see it. I'm inviting us to consider, will we let that be part of the way God speaks to us in this Advent season? I think of Psalm 8, this is one of my favorite psalms, actually, because it speaks so much to me in, in different ways. But in verses 3 and 4, David writes this. He's in this moment where he's actually stargazing. God had told him, lift up your eyes, and so he does that, and he's stargazing. And, and, the, and David ends up writing this. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? So I think one of the reasons why God, each and every time that we've seen here, and then even in, in, in the narrative, what we see is that God points people's eyes towards the stars, toward his divine creation, because when we do that, we get a new perspective. On one hand, we get the perspective that sets us in our right place, that goes, I'm actually not as big and as important and the star of the show like I think I am. I'm not as front and center to the narrative as I think I ought to be. And yet, on the other hand, it shows us just how infinitely God loves us and how actually special and important we are in the eyes and in the heart of the Creator. David is humbled here, and David is exalted to realize, wow, you're the Creator of all things. You've pursued me and invited me into relationship, and you've invited me to be part of your great story. Missio, where is God pursuing you in this season? What's he inviting you to? And is your heart open to meet and engage with him anew in this Advent season? How is God trying to get your attention? And are you open and are you receptive to his pursuit of you now? In Matthew's narrative in chapter 1, Matthew writes in in verse 22 and 23, and it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what we celebrate in this Christmas season, actually, is that we're celebrating that God is with us. And Joel and Vicky might be sitting there going, what are you talking about? Because my talk as actually was planned was to be considerably different. But I felt like what God wanted me to highlight at the beginning of Advent was, was what we just talked about. To, to point our eyes and fix our eyes on, on Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us, even in the darkness, even in the tiredness, even in the brokenness. Interesting how God aligned those songs even for us to sing. <laughs> And my invitation to you is to consider the words um, Cindy Lee 
in her book, Our Unforming, I shared this a few weeks ago when I, when I spoke. She was talking about spiritual formation. And she said this, which we shared, I shared that week. It said, spiritual formation refers to the transformation that appears or so that happens in us when we encounter God again and again and again. And this includes all the practical ways we try to clear the clutter in our souls in order to meet with God and hear from God. Again, this could be just another Advent season, another thing we do again and again and again because culture tells us to and da 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 da. Or this Advent season could be a season that we enter into, seeking and longing an encounter from God, maybe in a new way, maybe from a different type of messenger than we thought. God's the pursuer of human hearts, and I believe he'll use whatever is at his disposal, which, yes, is his word, which, yes, is his spirit, which, yes, is communion, which, yes, is his divine natural human creation, not human, divine natural creation. Are you receptive to that in this season? That God is pursuing you, and he's got something that he wants to do in your heart and your mind. As you grab hold of the truth, or the truth grabs hold of you, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with you. You know, during this Advent season, we, we decided as a team that we're, we're not going to do communion like we often do each week at the end of talks and as part of our worship. Um, instead, this morning, what I want to do is invite you uh, to, to a moment of reflection, a couple minutes of silent reflection um, before we worship to close. Before you put that up, I, I want to pray for us. Uh, and then there's going to be an, an image uh, and a scripture on the screen that I want to invite you to, to reflect on for about two minutes. But I want to pray this morning, and then we'll reflect, and then we'll worship out, okay? Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the fulfillment of every promise of Scripture. And that all of creation is pointing to you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the counselor, the divine counselor, and the divine helper. You're the one that leads and guides us into truth. And Father, I thank you that you are the father of us all, the creator of us all. And you are the lover, the pursuer of every human heart. And Lord, I pray that even now and in this season, Lord, would you pursue us in such a way that breaks down our barriers and breaks down our defenses. God, that comes and meets us in our places of longing and in our places of darkness and our places of brokenness. And show us just how good you are. Show us how faithful you are. Show us how kind you are, Father. Lord, would this be a season, yes, of great joy, of great love, of great peace, of great hope. May it be transformative for us, God. May we be new. May we be different. And Lord, may the world that we interact with be different because of our transformation. But God, before we jump ahead and get ahead, Lord, now in this moment, I pray, in the stillness and the quietness, God, as we look up, God, would you speak to us and begin to make clear to us, if you haven't already, what it is that you want to speak to us in this season of Advent and in this celebration of, of Christmas this year. God, we, we love you. We open our hearts and our minds to you to love us and to transform us again and again and again. And may you begin that work even now. Amen.